It is great to see everyone here tonight. Everyone's uh, out fellowshipping and talking, enjoying each other's company. It's summertime and we're all excited. It is great uh, to have you here tonight. Those of you who are online, those of you who are present, Lee, uh, ready to discuss our new series. And our new series will um, to be like Jesus. We're going to talk about what it means to be like Jesus. So again, welcome. Let's go to God in a word of prayer, please. Merciful and kind, great and awesome, magnificent and mighty God in heaven, who created the heavens and the earth, sustainer of all of our lives. Thank you for the beauty that we get to enjoy and share with each other. Thank you for our fellowship. Thank you for our relationship with you. Thank you for listening to us, for hearing our prayers, and for counting us as important. Thank you for your mercy, for your care, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus, your great Son, who died that we might live. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee. For be thy will. Amen. Please turn to Romans chapter 1. So, prayerfully, our last series, um, Falling in Love with Jesus, there were things uh, that were spoken, scriptures that were read that have enhanced your love for God. And now that we've fallen in love with Jesus, maybe in a deeper, more passionate way, uh, prayerfully now our response will be more like him, to be like Jesus in uh, in every way. And so, how can I be like God? We're going to look at that. How can I be like God in today's world? And then why would anyone want to be like Christ? I mean, that sounds like a silly question for us. But why would I want to be like God, like Jesus? So Romans, Paul begins or opens us up in chapter 1, in verse 14. And he says that I'm under obligation, both to the Greek and to the barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish. Number one, I'm under obligation. How great. How obligated do you feel in your relationship to God? Do you feel obligated? Are you obligated to serve God? In other words, we want to be here. We desire to be here. We love to be here. I'm obligated to be here because I love Jesus and because of what he's done for me. And then he goes on in verse uh, 15. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So on one hand, he was obligated. And along with that, he says, I'm excited. I'm eager to go and tell people uh, about Jesus. And then in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation unto everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So there's this indebtedness. Because he suffered for me, right? I mean, I know he suffered for you, but he suffered for me. So there's this indebtedness to God. So I want to be like him. Why would you want to be like Jesus? Have you ever met someone that loves you so much that you're just like, I am just obligated to that person. You know, I just, I mean, give me a chance to serve you now. And that's what it is to be with to, to be a child of God, that 
God loves us so, so very much that he proved he would do the impossible for us. And he did it. Right? And so, Romans uh, chapter, chapter 5. So the foundation point of our relationship with Christ is love. That's the foundation. Everything that we do needs to be surrounded around the foundation of love. Everything we build on when it comes to Jesus must be built on love. So that premise of love brings us to our conclusion of love. Love, love, love. That is who God is and that's who we desire to be. To be people who demonstrate a type of love that the world has never seen before. The early church, it was rumored that they were probably in some kind of sexual cultish type thing because, well, they met at night. They met in caves because of the persecution. And they loved each other so much until later the Romans realized No, they just had this God-like love that was so amazing, it's never been seen on the face of the earth before. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. God's love goes into the point of our hearts where it's when we had no strength, when we were helpless, when we had this amazing need and we couldn't, we couldn't do anything about it. For, for while we were still helpless, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And here's a comparative scripture. For one would hardly die for a righteous man. So think about now what that, who that man is. Here's, here's a righteous man. In other words, what God is saying is, how many of us would have died for Jesus? He died for us, but how many people would have died for Jesus? And the answer is, in the text, and it's in history, no one. No one stepped up. The apostles fled. They followed at a distance. Peter was over here, and John was a friend of the innkeeper, if you will, so he knew what was going on, and he was there. They didn't die for him. None of the ladies died for him. They were at the foot of the cross. Who died for Jesus? Who stepped up there and said, hey, no, no, don't take him. Take me in his place. No one. Later, Christians learned that love, and they did exchange their life for another's, but not not for Jesus. So one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good would some even dare to die. Verse 8, but God, that's that conjunction in there, you know, it, it denotes a difference. But God is not like us. But God loves us more than we love ourselves. But God loves us more than we can ever fathom what love really is. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So our motivation for everything we do is love. I do it out of love. I serve my brothers out of love. Everything I do is out of love. Love for God first and then love for others. Right? Later love for myself. Turn to First John chapter 4. And I want to set this up because there are some things in Jesus, uh, in this relationship with Jesus, that 
you know, they're a little hard. They're hard to do if you don't build on the foundation of love. You know, I'll give you just one quick example. Imagine being treated like Jesus. Imagine you were Jesus and Judas, he didn't, he didn't hang himself. And, and he betrayed you in that way. And you were, you, you were scourged and you were beat badly and your execution was coming, but they, they didn't pronounce that judgment upon you yet. It's, it's coming. And then Judas says, man, I'm, I'm sorry. Then <laughs> you say, no problem, Judas. <laughs> no, you want to wring his neck. Right? You already broke his foot when you washed it. <laughs> but love. How do I love my enemy? How do I love my enemy? How do I treat the brethren? Right? Okay, listen to verse 7. First John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So the foundation is... We could do lots of work, religious work, but if it's not done in love, is it is it really a work of God? Everyone who loves is of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that so that we might live through Him. There's the action of love. Verse 10, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but He loved us. Isn't it interesting that God knows us? <laughs> it's, not, it's not you. God says it's me. Because sometimes I love God more than my sin. And other times I love my sin more than I love God. How about you? You ever ask someone to make you really angry and you want to lash out, but you know you shouldn't, but you just have a hard time letting it go? I just love that sin, right? What would Jesus have done? Right? You have to love that WWJD. Honk if you love Jesus. Don't let anyone honk at you in traffic. <laughs> right? you, might, you might get a little upset, especially if they keep doing it. Right? Over and over and over again. you got the bumper sticker on the back of your car. Honk if you love Jesus. Beloved, verse 11. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So love, love takes, what would every married couple say to us? They say, love takes work. Right? Marriage takes work. You gotta work it. You work it. You work it, love. Right? How about in the church? It takes work. It takes all of us individually independently to work together. Love takes work. Love is an action word. Love is impossible without action. Love takes work. So, everything that we do in this relationship with God, to be like Jesus, means you got to get the love thing down. And one of the apostles who, who had this great um, transformation would be John. John, remember, he was uh, uh, named, he and his brother, Barjonas, right? Son of thunder. 
And they get out there and they start teaching the gospel and they find someone that's not willing to follow them, not quite like them. And, and the question that John asks is, do you want us to do what Elijah did? Elisha, rather. Let us call down fire from heaven and let's just destroy them. And Jesus says, well, I mean, that's not quite how this works. You don't know the spirit that's within you. And so, you keep following that disciple, who is the beloved disciple, and you catch him at the end of his life, nearing the end of his life, if you will, in his latter days, should I say. And he's the one that wrote First John, Second John, Third John, by way of inspiration. But they're all about love, aren't they? Love, love, love. What happened to him? He got to know Jesus, didn't he? Transformation. The foundation piece for all that we do has to be on love. Built on love. Everything is built on love. Turn to Romans 8. I know these are very familiar passages, but I want to set this Bible study up with this first because I think this is uh, paramount to our study. Verse, verse 37, way over there to the end. You've read this many, many times over. It is, it is through the love of Jesus and through his conquering ability that he gives us the ability to conquer. And we conquer as we strive to be like him. But in all things, all, all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, contextually, Romans 8 is all about trouble in our lives. It's about being creatures of futility. It's about trying to live a life of, of spirituality versus the flesh. I mean, it's all about conflict in our relationship. In fact, Romans 7, 14 and following kind of sets up Romans chapter 8. It's all about, it's kind of about the conflict, the stuff that we go through in life. And then the idea that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Obviously, there are lots of folks that were against them. But then the conclusion is God conquers, so we conquer, and we conquer through love. Verse 38 For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the question is, we understand that about God. But what will it take to separate my love from Jesus? I mean, I know about his love for me. What about my love for him? What will it take to separate me from my love from you, the brotherhood, and your love from me? If we're going to be like Jesus, the conclusion has to be in our lives as well that nothing will separate us from the love that we have toward one another. Now, think about how that reflects the life of a Christian in a marriage, right? If we're going to be like Jesus, then even when we don't like the way things are going and we practice what Jesus would practice, we we react, we respond, and we handle marriage conflicts very differently. We do it like Jesus would. How would Jesus handle this conflict between my mate? Think about that. Do I really want to be like Jesus? 
That's a great question to ask in the middle of a fight with your husband or your wife. You know, do I really want to be like Jesus? And you know, what is the answer usually? Not right now. <laughs> right now, I just want to be right. <laughs> right. right. Psalm 86. Psalm 86. To be like, to be like Jesus. Verse, I want to look at verse 5. Psalm 86 and verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good. I love this one. And ready to forgive. Isn't that great? God is like, okay, I just, I want to forgive you. Just, just, just repent. I, I got it. I'm going to, I'm going to forgive you. Whether you repent or not, I'm going to forgive you. I'm ready to forgive. You still have to repent. But, I'm ready to forgive you. Think about that in a marriage. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm, I'm just ready to forgive. And abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon thee. Right? God, full of love and grace, ready to forgive. And then verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Wow, that's a lot, right? Think about how exciting that'd be, right? So here we are in our marriage relationship, and I'm full of love. There is an abundance of, of my love and and I'm, I'm merciful because I want to be like Jesus and I'm full of goodness and graciousness and, and I choose to be slow to anger. I'm going to restrain myself. I don't have to be right all the time. And I can even be wronged and that's alright. I may not like it, but I'm going to love you to death to be like Jesus. Right? Hmm. What about in the church? You know, the congregation is split and they divide up and you got the North Side Church of Christ and then one block you got the South Side Church of Christ and then the next block you got the East Side and the West. That's not in heaven. What if instead they all were ready to forgive, abundant in loving kindness, gracious and merciful? I think somewhere they forgot to practice love. That's the foundation. Psalm 36 and verse 7. Not Psalm 36 and verse 7. How precious is thy loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings. Am I willing to allow someone to take refuge in me? Right? As I steer them to Christ, am I allowed, am I willing, rather, to allow someone to take shelter in me? In other words, am I willing to bear your burdens? Am I willing to suffer with you? Am I willing to go the extra mile of the way? Am I willing to be to you what Christ would be to you, regardless of the way you treated me? To be like Jesus. Alright, so let's look into 
some more of the practical side of, of this class um, with today's world, right? Uh, let's go to First Peter chapter chapter one. He left us an example to follow, especially in a world that is hostile towards you, right? So there's a lot of hostility in our world today. So then how do we handle all of this hostility that is coming at us? The, the Christians, and, and we just did a study about the lesson, um, but the Christians were scattered. Chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that because of persecution and injustice, right? I mean, the Romans didn't care if these folks were um, good citizens or not. The Romans didn't care uh, if they had children or if they were if they were good people. The Romans didn't care if you were a Christian and you were a follower of Jesus and uh, you uh, were practicing Christianity and evangelizing others, saying, "Hey, be like Jesus, be a good example to the world, honor the King, etc., etc." The Romans didn't care about that. Injustice was very much a part of the Christian life in that day. So how do we handle injustice when we when we stare in its face as Christians? Right? And, and I know that you know we we might think it's subjective, but it's not subjective. It's it's objective knowledge and it's difficult, but we're going we're gonna to be like Jesus. So let's look at Jesus and let's think about what he's done for us. So 1 Peter 1 and verse 20. Verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for, for what reason? Why did he appear? Yeah, for us. And then you can very, be very specific and say, for J. Lee Jackson, for Tony Cloud, for for you. Specifically, he appeared for you, and we, I, am his servant, and I am to follow in his footsteps. Right? So now I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's come back to Peter in just a moment. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Here I am following in the footsteps of Jesus. He's teaching people who some want to hear and others do not. We're in a chaotic world. And here, to walk like Jesus is the opposite of walking like James and John. So let's read the account that I mentioned earlier. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him saying to him, Teacher, we want you to, what do you want, excuse me, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized in the baptism of which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism in which I am baptized. But to sit on my right, on my left, this is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And hearing this, 
the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be... Can we use that word? Slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for so be like Jesus it means to serve 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 you know, we, we like to be up here Jesus says that's not where you're supposed to be child of God you got to be down here every one of you elders, deacons, preachers Christians, all of us got to be down here right? that, that slave that Servant. Servant. Have the servant mentality to be like Jesus means to serve, not to lord over. Wow. Think about that. That's why Peter had a problem with you know, washing my feet. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't wash my feet. You are the master. You are the Lord. He says, let me show you how to be a master. Let me show you how to be a lord. You serve. And you see, that was what, it just blew Pilate's mind. Because Pilate thought, wait a minute, you can't be the king of the Jews, and, and you're, and you're serving, and they want to kill you, and you're not even defending yourself? No, that's not what kings do. Jesus was the servant king. And, and that just doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, why would your king give his life a ransom? Why would he do that? Wouldn't your king give someone else's life? For that ransom, isn't there someone else to take the king's place? Or maybe maybe the king could, could have a hundred men that he could sacrifice. A hundred women that he could sacrifice in his place. But no, instead he saved the hundred men, saved the hundred women, and became the sacrifice. Because he was a servant king. And God the Father never asks us, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, never asks us to do Anything he hasn't already done and that he doesn't already do. Isn't it amazing the Father is our servant? That doesn't even sound right. Sounds irreverent to even say it. The Father said, ask me anything in my name. Jesus said that. Ask me anything in the Father's name. He'll do it. Why will he do it? Because he's a servant God. It doesn't sound right. It's backwards. It's but we serve God. No, no, no. God serves us. What does that mean? Well, through his loving, caring, compassion, and mercy, this morning he kindly and graciously woke you up, lifted you out of your bed, gave you the strength and energy to live for the day. And throughout your day, I don't know how many of Satan's traps he removed from you, so you wouldn't fall into the pit. I don't know what all he's done specifically for you. How many times you prayed for help. How many times he rescued you. I don't know that answer. But I know it was all day long. 
God is a servant God. So to be like God, to be like Jesus, is to serve. And to be excited about your service for God. We already have a leader. right? We don't need any more leaders. We got Jesus. Right? Every Christian follows Jesus. We're good to go. To serve. To be like Jesus, number one, is to serve in love all the time. That means that I happily, I'm going to make it really personal and then we'll expand it out further. Serve my wife as a father, as a husband. Serve my my wife as a husband, my daughter, my children as a father. I got in trouble on that one. Serve willingly all the time. Serve, serve, serve. Serve, serve. But wait a minute, if I'm doing all the serving, when does she serve me? Well, wait a minute, she's serving too. Serve, serve, serve. And then my children are served, serving, serving. And we're serving. And everybody's serving. And we don't, we're not asking who's doing which part. We're just serving because God wants us to be servants. And we're doing it out of love every step of the way. Now, church. It's all about service, right? It's all about, it's not, it's not about, hey, James, 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 look, look, you're an elder, so I need you to do these 25 things. It's like, you know, James, you, like, I know you're busy. How can I help you? Right? Right? How can I help you? What can I help you do? And he says, well, you know, I, you, know, you know, okay, well, and then someone else says, hey, what can I do to help you? And then everybody's serving. And everyone's load becomes lighter And then it makes life easier, right? Serving. Serving. To be like Jesus is to serve. And you know what's amazing about serving? The more that you serve and the more that others serve, the less that you do. Many hands make light work, right? And we have to go out there and, you know, I'll pick on Jerry. Jerry's out there. He mows the grass. He loves it. Does an excellent job at it, by the way. He's out there all the time, even in the rain. And I sit in my office going, why are you still out there? You're mowing the grass. He's out there for like 20 hours a day. No, not, <laughs> not really, but he's out there a lot. Doing it in the name of Jesus, just mowing grass. And, and, and a lot of other work that comes with it. Wow. What if everyone, what if all of us served in some capacity like that? And, and so, the more that we serve, the less that we do. And so Jesus said, and here's, here's why we know that. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. How is it light? Because if everyone's doing their part, and some, there's not a whole lot to do. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's what, that's what this is about, to be like Jesus. And so my question in the very beginning of the class was, who wants to be like Jesus? Well, let's think about it now. We ask the question again, do you really want to be like Jesus? Okay, go back to First Peter. How much, how much sleep did Jesus get? <laughs> it's another, another question for another day, I guess. 
So, so though, though difficult, God says, continue serving and be patient. What is it uh, someone said that, I don't remember even the percentage, but it's like 10% of the congregation does all the work, 90% just kind of, and I, and I heard denominational people saying that. <laughs> like, wow, there too. What if everyone, every one of us, what if we had no, no pew warmers or seat warmers, everybody was working? <laughs> Wow. Right? Think about that. Think about the explosion in the Lord's church. Everyone did something. And there's a lot to be done. And you talk to the elders and say, hey, what needs to be done? Compile a list. Talk to the preacher. We'll put a list together. There's lots of stuff to be done. Speaking of that, VBS is coming up. There you go. That's a good start. Right? Okay. First Peter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in a thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what are those good deeds? It's a child of God serving. Right? Serving God, the Master. And they are serving each other in the faith. Chapter 4 is now in the face of persecution. So in the face of persecution, in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. By no means that any of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. So how do we stand in the face of chaos, injustice? How do we, how do we stand, and how are we supposed to stand in a world like today, in a world like the first century, in love for Jesus Christ in the midst of a chaotic and difficult world. Here Christians were being punished, not for doing good, or, or, or for doing evil rather, but for doing good. And they used the opportunity that was before them to grow themselves Stronger and stronger in that same word earlier in servitude or in slavery. That's, that's the word. It's a deeper word. Bond servants in subjection. So here's the next word. In submission. Who wants to submit? See, it's the opposite. It's like, I don't want to serve. I want, I kind of, 
want to be served. Jesus, no, that's not how this works. To be like Jesus means you serve. All of us serve in the lowliest positions even of life. So Jesus took the towel with which he was girded and he began to take the lowliest job in that house and he washed the disciples' feet. And he said, I've given you an example for you to do likewise. Now, he's not literally saying that we're to wash each other's feet. It would have no meaning or no significance to us because we wear shoes and socks. Our feet are covered. We're not walking in dirt. We're walking on pavement. And they walked in dirt and their feet were, were grimy and, and dirty and filthy and all the words you could think of that go with that, smelly, etc. The lowliest of the lowest job. So he goes right into, all right, well, how do we suffer the way Jesus wants us to? Or how do we serve the way that Jesus wants us to? And it's being subjection or submission. Let's read it. First Peter chapter two in verse thirteen. I'm going to start going down this list of submission, 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 submission. Now, Peter, Paul says it in a different way. Paul says, where I'm weak, then I'm strong. Same idea, if you will. Submission, right? Uh, where I'm weak, there I'm, then I'm strong. I know in context, the, the thorn and all that, but it's when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Submission, humility, is our next word, appears as if, Because I'm being humble and submitting, it appears as though I'm weak in our world today. That would be maybe a definition or or part of a definition of weakness would be humility or submission in the sense that you were forced to be humble or you were forced to submit. But God says Christians don't have to be forced. We willingly submit we willingly humble ourselves to all. So imagine with me for just a moment. In the book of James, we're going we're to read First Peter, second. In the book of James, chapter 2, it gives a scenario. And it says, you know, a rich man comes into the, into your congregation. And the people all gather around him because he has all, all the gold and jewelry. And you know he's wealthy. And people grab him and they gravitate toward him. And they welcome him and they sit him in the front in the place of honor, because he's an honorable person. You don't know anything about him. You just see that he has, I guess, aesthetic beauty on the outside. And the poor man comes in. How do you treat the poor man in relationship to the rich man? The rich man isn't going to serve. The rich man wants to be served. The other example would be, uh, imagine in, in the church, the poor man, the poor man in Anchorage is a godly man. He's really poor. But he's an elder in the Lord's church because he qualifies. Does he qualify? How would we look at a poor man who qualifies to serve as an elder, who wants, who desires to be an elder? Would we make him an elder? Or would we say, well, he has no real experience in life in the world. How would we view that qualified man Think about that. The Lord's church has suffered tremendously because of that. They take a business owner or some man that's been successful in business and make him an elder as if that 
one of the qualifications of being an elder and is not. Servitude. So James is bringing this subject up. Well, when you think about it, um, the employer and the employee. So the employee, remember the church, the employer, remember the church, the employee works for the employer, both members of the church. How should they treat each other? The employee is the elder, the employer is not. How's that relationship work in and out of the church? In other words, what God is saying is that in, in Christ, we have to be careful with this idea of levels, don't we? Like where you are, you're here. There's none of that. All of us are servants of Jesus Christ. And we got to get that in our heads. we got to make sure we hold on to that. So the word is, we have a few minutes, we'll start this, we'll come back right here. First Peter 2, the word is submission. It's a powerful word. It's a godly word. It's to be like Jesus. He didn't have to die. He submitted. He could have, he said himself, I just destroy everybody right now. But he did not. He submitted. He allowed them. He allowed them. He laid his life down. So listen to what it says. 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors uh, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Well, in those days, the king would kill you, right? The king would just cut your head off. And so, if a Roman soldier, I mentioned earlier, um, I believe I mentioned this, tells you to carry the cloak one mile, you're on your way home, I've been at work all day. Yeah, you Christian, carry that cloak. Jesus says, don't argue with him. I know what's an injustice. And I know it's wrong. And we know he's wrong. But carry it two miles. But he only asked me to carry it one, Lord. Jesus says, I need you to go the extra mile. Because... You are following Jesus, not man. You're not actually submitting to that man. You're submitting to God. I am trying to do what God wants me to do. So I follow what's right. I do not follow what is wrong. I do not follow the world. I do not jump into the, on the bandwagons. Instead, I am a child of God. Therefore, I act as a child of God. And when anyone sees me, in my life and in my world in which I live, they see me in complete submission, willing to follow rules. I'm willing to follow rules, even orders or commands. Now, in the military, we understand that because we have those who are over us and they give us a command and you just have to do it. As long as it's not, you know, morally unethical, but... How many times have you painted bumpers? Well, I did, but I deserved it. <laughs> but how many times have you done something silly in the military that didn't make any sense? But if they tell you to do it, you just have to do it. And sometimes in the church, there are just things that, in our world that we live, that it's an injustice, but we do the right thing, always, even when it doesn't feel good. Because... 
to do the right thing also means to submit. Submission has to be a part of the Christian order to be like Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He submitted. So, in our home, I'll I'll close at this point. While passages say that, you know, uh, that wives submit to their husbands, when you read Ephesians 5, it says submit ye to one another. There's There's an equal submission on both sides in relationships to Christ. When you're doing it the way Jesus wants us to do it, it's not about who's above the other. It's all about service. How may I be of service to you? So, to be like Jesus. We'll come back. Let's pick up some of this chaos uh, globally next week. And just, how do we, how do we work at this, this idea of being a Christian man and woman when we're faced with trouble? How are we supposed to be like Jesus? Or what should we do to be like Jesus? So thank you uh, tonight for your time. If, if you're not a child of God tonight, there'll be an invitation in a moment. And we encourage you, invite you to submit to Christ in the waters of baptism. If you are struggling with your faith and would like prayers made in your behalf, uh, the elders will pray with you or pray for you. If you're online and you would like help in some way, please let us know. Contact us and we will get back in touch with you and serve in any way that we can. God bless you and thank you again for your time.